You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How are you, mate? I'm good. It's good to speak to you. Um... And are you, are you, which team you support? Are you a Villa man? No, I'm going to let you decide who I support because I do get that daily. And welcome all to a chapter of my life with author Roy Kavanagh. It's all about you. It's not about me. Oh, I want to okay. know who the real Roy Kavanagh is and how you got the MBE. So before we get into the podcast where we're going to talk about your books... Yeah. Let's talk about previous titles that you've done and how you've got into or how you got into the after dinner speaking circuit. Okay. Well, firstly, my actual name is Roy Cavana. Got ya. Cavana with a with a C. C A V A N A G H. Yep. Um and until I was about thirty-five, I considered myself a very, very shy person. Got Seriously, very shy person. I even got married in a registrar office because I couldn't fancy the whole church thing and everything like that. Seriously, I was very shy. Anyhow, in me late, I've always been interested in writing, yeah. um, but I had a very average education because when I was at school, I mean, I'm 74 next month, um, so consequently when I was at school, I lived very close to Old Trafford and I lived very close to where what is now Media City in Salford. Yes. Uh, but then it was the docks, it was the Salford docks, and all the houses that were around were, were really slums. But you didn't know there were slums because nobody else, you hadn't been anywhere else, you hadn't been to Barbados or even Scarborough. So, I mean, um, you know, everything was normal. People left the houses open at night, the doors open. So you didn't have out to steal. Yeah. Um, and all that, but I saw the Busby Babes from the age of seven. Uh, and that was before they'd won their first league championship. So I saw them, you know, all the way through their time. I was at Old Trafford, their last home game. The game at Arsenal, where they won 5-4 on the 1st of February 1958, has gone down as one of the iconic Manchester United games, because that was the last game they played in England yeah. before the, the air crash. Now, but the Saturday before that, they'd played in the FA Cup, against Ipswich Town at Old Trafford. Um, and I went to that game, and that was the last game that team played at Old Trafford. And they beat Ipswich Town, who were then in the third division, managed by Alf Ramsey, and they beat them 2 none. and Bobby Charlton got both the goals. And I can remember being pushed by my dad onto the front, behind the picket, where you got a little, a little wall. And there was snow, which was quite, quite evocative about what would happen 10 days after that. Snow pushed yeah. to the side of the pitch on that day. The Saturday after, which is the 1st of February, when United were playing the Wolves, um, sorry, were playing Arsenal away in that famous game, the reserves played the Wolves at Old Trafford. Yeah. And I went to that game, and there was 19,000 at that match. 19,000 for a reserve match. And uh, Ronnie Flowers played and scored for Wolves in their reserve team that day. Uh, but United, just before Christmas, had hit a bit of a dodgy spell, and Matt brought Harry Gregg into the club. Uh, so he replaced Ray Wood, who was my hero. Yeah. And he was my hero because when you first went in the mid-50s, life outside football was very dull, very grey. There was no colour. You didn't see women walking around in green dresses and red dresses. It, it, you know, men were in overcoats and trilbies and having a fight. It was a very greyish society. That's what I saw. So to see a football shirt, whether it was the tangerine of Blackpool, the, the blue and white stripes of, the, of West Brom, uh, the villa, very famous, the Clarent and blue, the old gold of the walls. Uh, in case you're a Birmingham fan, I'll throw in the royal blue of Birmingham as well. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you know, all, all that type, the colours. We, we, 
But the goalkeeper, of course, had a different colour than the others. So Ray Wood became my hero because he had green jersey on. Um, but the United Reserve side on the 1st of February was Ray Wood was in goal. Uh, Jeff, and he, he got hurt in the crash. Uh, Jeff Bent was at left back and he got killed in the crash. Jackie Blanchflower was at centre-half. Danny Blanchflower's brother and a great player. He'd been dropped before Christmas. He, he got so badly hurt, he never played again. Johnny Berry, the outside right, who they'd signed from Birmingham five or six years earlier, a great, great right winger. He was so severely hurt, he never played again. Billy Wheel in the inside right got killed. And David Pegg, the outside left, got killed. And that was a reserve side facing Wolves reserves. So, you know, I was a big fan of United. And my school was, if I was asked, uh, maths and English, which was I wasn't too bad at, but really all I could do was remember Wood, Folksburn, Coleman, Jones, Edwards, Barry Wheelan, Taylor, Island Peg. That was the book of both. And um, and then on the um, the sixth of February, the Thursday, I'd been asked to stay behind to do some extra maths and English for the eleven plus that I was due to take in the May or June, which I failed by the way. And I was coming home with my school bag over my shoulder, sludging away. Met me mates on the corner of the street about half four English time. English time. Yeah. This is important. Um, and you know the, the the crash was on the billboards. The crash was on the billboards. Um, and I've only really found out recently that you know it, it's not celebrated is the wrong word. It's yeah. acknowledged and commemorated about three minutes past. Um, sorry, six minutes past three. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure the actual crash in Belgrade, because they would be um, an hour in front of us, I would think. You know, so um, if it was five past three there, it would be it'd be ten past two in England when you'd heard about it. So that, there's a bit of a play on words that I need to find out even more about. But certainly by half past four in England, you knew there'd been an air crash. Uh, and then overnight, don't forget, there was no sky... TV, there was no talk sport. Um, the six o'clock news, I can remember Kenneth Kendall coming on and saying Manchester had been in the air crash and some people had definitely died. The following day, when I found out that they crashed because the headmaster told us all at assembly, and on my way home for dinner, because I only lived five, seven minutes away from school, and I used to go home for my dinner, and I took all the books out of my school dresser, my school drawer, and I passed. Eddie Coleman's house, which he did every day. And Eddie Coleman lived uh, number nine, Archer Street, which is oh, less than a mile from where the Salford docks are now. Yeah. It's got the media city now. And it, in that street, Archer Street, when Coronation Street started in 1960, they showed an actual black and white picture of a, of a, a living street in Salford. And the street they used was Archer Street. And that's where Eddie Coleman lived in that street. And I can remember knocking on the door and somebody opened it. And I just passed over all my souvenirs and went home. And I can remember my mother gave me a right volley for that. You know, you shouldn't have done that. But I was I was 10. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, so from that, as I say, I left school at 15. Um, and, you know, I had deja vu jobs. Okay. Nice money. Uh, Monday to Friday. But I, I enjoyed writing. Um, and I started sending letters to, like, the football pink. You know, win a tenner, get a letter and things like that. And I also used to have a massive programme collection. I had every single United programme since the war, except four, and every England-owned programme since the war, except four. Uh, and, um, you know, so I started writing about and a friend of mine became the assistant secretary at United, Ken Ramsden. And, and I said, if you ever want, you know, I can do you an article on United programme. So if they were playing Villa Birmingham or Real Madrid, I could write about past games that they played them. Are you with me? From the 30s and 40s and 50s. If it was Birmingham, I'd, you could pick the semi-final, um, whatever. Birmingham, I remember beating United in the sixth round of the cup when I think Johnny Berry played for them, um, about 52. So, you know, 
and he, he said oh great and the first article went in with coloured picture uh, in the Tottenham Cup replay in January 1980. So from then, uh, he gave me, in the March, he gave me a two-page article in the 100th Manchester Derby. Um, and the year after, I was writing in every... For six years, I wrote in a lot of Club United programmes about collecting programmes. So from then, I did a book um, called The Reds Reviewed for United which covered United 46 to 58, but with stories out of the club programme. Yep. So, um, you know, basically they were, they were official stories from the programme. And I was going to do, that was going to be the first of four, 46, 58, 58 to 68 when it European Cup, 68 to perhaps 80, and then 80 onwards. And I've only completed that first year. I have long hand, long hand, so it shows how long I did it. I have long hand written the second one, but I've never bothered doing that. Um, and then from that, I did a, a book with a local, quite a famous guy called Fred Eyre. Am I okay, by the way, talking like this from your point? You are absolutely fantastic. I love to just listen to people okay. talk about their love and passion for their yeah. club. Yeah, well, you just stop me. No, know. I will just let you carry on. I'm loving it. Well, Fred Eyre um, used to play for City, for the reserves and whatever. And then he finished up playing for about 26 non-league clubs. But Fred became a brilliant after-dinner speaker. And he's still around. He does local radio. He must be towards 80 now, uh, 78, something like that. And he, and he covers City uh, on local radio. Um, and he was... We, we got together and combined. He'd already done one famous book, and I'd done this one. And we did a book called, in fact, I'm looking at the, the cover, which is in a, a, a bestseller silver frame in front of me in the, in the study I'm in now. And it was uh, like you do with records. And it was called What a Game. Yeah. And this was 11 personalities of Manchester United and 11 personalities of the city. And I'm not being disrespectful to city then. Uh, you know, their personalities were Bernard Manning, Stuart Hall, uh, whatever. Mike Summerbury was like a great buzzer. He's a great, he's a great blow buzzer. Um, but United, I had Georgie Best. I had Matt Busby. I had Harold Riley, the, art, the artist, who was my school art teacher. I had Bob Wilson. I, I had, because he nearly signed for United. Yeah. I had um, Peter Alice, the golfer who'd followed United, having seen them play Bournemouth in 1957 in the Cup. Um, I had um, John Motson, who was born in hospital in Salford, Hope Hospital. Um, so, you know, I had all these people, and I interviewed them, and then did a bio of them, and they picked their best United game. It didn't have to be, it wasn't against City, it was their favourite United game. Yep. And Fred did the same. And this... We got somebody to do a caricature of all 22 people in it. I can see it from here now. Georgie Best has got a blonde chasing him, and uh, all, of, all of them are on it. And this, can you imagine it as a, a skate-out painting? Yeah. Uh, a drawing, rather, a coloured. And that became the front and back of the, of the book. And it's called What a Game. Um, and Fred had lots and lots of contacts. And we got it autographed by every single person on there. Uh, some very, very famous names. Yeah. One other, and I'll come to that in a minute. When the book got launched, it got launched at an hotel called the Lord Daresbury in Warrington. Beautiful hotel. And um, it's a Dickie Bowe job. 300 tickets sold. And United players had a table, City players had a table, Liverpool players had a table, and Everton players. And that was 1983. Yeah. And it got launched on about the 3rd or 4th of December for the Christmas market. We'd already sold 7,000 copies of the, the 10,000 print on the night, and it became a bestseller. And we had Paddy Barkley, a young Paddy Barkley in the audience, which is 1983, uh, all the press, you know, press people, Bob the Cat Bevan was the after-dinner speaker, along with Jack Charlton. And we were clapped in on the top table. And in front of me, I swear this is gospel truth, in front of me was Jack Charlton. Behind me was John Charles. 
and in front of it are these tables. Now, I lost my shyness that night. Can you imagine why? Because you, you have to speak, you have to say whatever. And then from there, that's where I got involved in the after-dinner speaking, really. Wow. What a lead-up to the after-dinner speaking. What was your... <laughs> uh, it's, it's unfair to say what was your favourite what was your most memorable? Because when you go on the circuit like that, there are yes. so many stars that, yes. that you've been, and, and let's be honest, in awe of, because we all yeah. are football fans at heart. But yeah. what were, say, half a dozen of the most memorable ones? I mean, I looked at your... Um, uh, your, your, your text, there was the likes of yeah. uh, Jimmy Greaves there, Frank Worthington, Steve yeah. Walsh, a millionaire, yeah. uh, Wilf McGuinness, Nobby yeah. Styles, Alex Stepney. Yeah. Did Stepney tell the story about Stan Bowles and the penalty? He did. <laughs> yeah. He did. He told, he told a better one. Go on. He, he told Alex a lovely man. Alex Stepney, lovely, lovely man. Come from yeah. Millwall, didn't he? Yeah, now that's the story. What, what a man. Yeah. He played at Millwall. And then he got transferred to Chelsea. I'll, come, I'll tell you a story about yeah. that as well. And then he comes to United. But at Millwall, he got into the first team. And, and he had a habit, Alec, if the, if the right winger crossed the ball, he would catch it uh, and throw it out to... So, yeah, throw it out to his right winger. And if the left winger crossed the ball, he would catch it and roll it out to his, throw it out to his left winger. That attack. Yeah. Anyhow, gets to our time and they had a centre-forward. I know his first name was Pat. Uh, I forget his second name, but this 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 guy, black-haired, brushed back as they would be then uh, in the early 60s, 63, something like that, 64. Um, Good-looking guy. And he said, oi, he said, when you get that ball, don't bowl it out to Joe Abbotty on the wing, you know. You belt it down the middle to me. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not doing that. It's going to upset my, my routine. So the ball's come in and everything, etc. Anyway, they've won the game. So he's gone in the, the clubhouse after, and he's just having a drink. Door opens, and the centre forward walks in with two blocks. And it was the Cray twins. <laughs> he said, I tell you what, Roy, he said, I, I booted it down the middle after that every game. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a cracking story, that, isn't it, Alex? Would, it, it's one that, that would rarely be bettered. You know, when <laughs> this is why you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, Alex. <laughs> My pals are going to back me up. But yeah, he did. He went to Chelsea, brief, Chelsea briefly and then transferred to United, didn't he? Audie was telling me about it. Well, here's the story with that. Uh, the Chelsea chairman in the, at the time was a guy called Mears. Yeah. And Mears told Tommy Doherty, who was the manager, uh, he, he wasn't that sure that he, he wanted a, a change to Peter Benetti. Mm. And he said, I want you to buy another goalie. So he said, well, I've got Peter Benetti. He said, no, I want you to. Uh, to so they, they signed Alec for, say, 50 grand from yeah. Millwall. And Alec joined. In between Alec joining and the start of the season, Mr. Mears dropped dead. Right. Or, or died. Uh, and Tommy Doherty then had two goalkeepers. And he, he rang Matt up and, and said, look, you can have your choice if you want. He said, well, I need a goalie because Harry, Harry what a top man he is, Harry Gray, was suffering too many injuries. Uh, Pat Dunn, who helped him win the league, only had one season in 65. And Dave Gaskell kept picking injuries. He needed a top goalie because he had a magnificent team. In many, in many ways, that 66 team, uh, when George got them goals in uh, Benfica, when they beat ben, Benfica 5-1, that was a better team than won the European Cup in 68. Yeah. Um, because, they had, you know, so he said, well, I'll, I'll take Alex Stepney off you. And, and, and the doc made five grand on it because Alex came to United for 55,000. And, of course, they won, the, they won the league title in that in that first season. But, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Alex Stepney. Duncan McKenzie is another one that that yeah. um, has a great <laughs> reputation for for doing the circuit. Do you still do the circuit now, Roy, or is it something that you've no. you've finished, you've wrote your book, and you're yeah. you, you've yeah. written down your memoirs of some fantastic yeah. evenings? Yeah. If a mate if a mate said to me, "Can you do the favour? We're doing a dinner." 
I'd do it, and I'd get. I don't. You must be the same, Paul. I mean, you you know, you get you get a buzz, but you also get hyped up beforehand. You think, oh, I don't need to do it. Then you get in the room. There's up two hundred, three hundred, four, five hundred people at times in in rooms, and uh, you know, I, I knew my place. My place was the MC. The comedian, the speaker was there to entertain. The comedian was there to entertain. My point of view was to get the evening underway by eight at the latest, and to and to get it over by midnight at the latest, not having your guest speaker coming on at quarter past 11 and a comedian to follow when, you know, because uh, you've got the raffle. So if I say so myself, I, I try to get everything organised uh, and do it that way. One of the top guys is, uh, without a doubt, is, is Jimmy Green. Yes. I mean, Jimmy, uh, uh, I've been with Jimmy three or four times. And what a lovely man. And one of the first ones, I used to, Bizarrely, I had well, not bizarrely, because he was in Chinatry and mate. But mate lived up in Darlington, and I used to get loads of dinners up in Darlington. I used to go up there a lot. And one, there was four hundred there, and it was a circus tent on a cricket field. But it was a bloody windy, windy night, and we're in this tent and greedy saying, and I can't, I won't be swearing, but no, you can. <laughs> no, not basically. You know, uh, well, you know, he, he uses the the Cockneys use the F word quite a bit, you know. <laughs> Effing hell, can I black it? Effing wind here and everything. And of course, he was then just on Diet Coke. He he wasn't touching yeah. a drink. And he, he would drive home from Darlington to, I think he lived down South Emway, something like that. Luckily, it was right down the A1. Are you with me? Ish. But he would, uh, you know, but he didn't never touch a drop. But he, he was fantastic. Two, two cracking stories with Jimmy. There's many, but. Um, well, three years, but one of them um, was an actual event at Leicester City, but it, it was a, um, a place near Leicester, and it was a charity dinner, a testimonial dinner for Alan Birchinall. Another legend, yeah, Birch. Yeah, himself, and he had this testimonial dinner, and uh, just off the uh, M- M1. So I'd gone down, it was a black tie do, it was Thursday night, about 300 there, and Greasy's got in, and he's got a white shirt with mud still on it, uh, number eight on the back, and he says, uh, can I use the words here? I don't like Yes, of course you can. So he goes up and says, fucking hell, Bert. He said, yeah, put this in a fucking drawer, make yourself a bob or two, you know, whatever. And he threw this shirt, the Bert's give it to me then, because I'm going to auction it. So the night's gone great. Jimmy's been brilliant. Uh, comedian was quite good. And we've come to the auction then. So I've got this shirt of Jimmy Greaves. And to me left is a table of Leicester City players. I can see him now. Muzzy is a uh, Neil Lennon, um, um, Savage, um, about five of them. Yeah. But there's a party of about ten. And right at the back of the room, in another table was the captain, Steve Walsh, the centre half. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, the night, the, the, the auction's going on, and uh, I've started off. Come on, Jimmy Grease, here's the shirt. Come on, guys, make some money for Bert. 50 quid, 80 quid, 100 quid, 100. And it's starting to get, and Muzzy, is it? has gone to 300 quid, 400. And Grease said, fucking hell, Muzzy, come on, keep going, let's make Bert some money. So, And there's someone at the back bidding whatever, but I couldn't, couldn't hardly see the one at the back. You know, it's 250 people in the room and whatever. Anyhow, this has got to 1,250 quid. Uh, right, last time, was it? No, I'm out, right. Last time, 1,250 quid. Okay, so this guy's coming. Next minute, I've, I've moved on to the next auction, you know me? It's because someone else has to go and get Joe Bloggs' name one. Yeah. Next minute, uproar. The table at the back literally went up in the air. The punches are being traded. One of them is Steve Walsh, who's in the middle. And to my left is the Leicester City team, as I've said to you, who, this is Thursday night, who are on Saturday or Sunday were playing Chelsea in the FA Cup on the television. And next minute, what had happened was that Steve Walsh was a guest of a, a Leicester City fan, an ordinary Joe, just like us, who'd happened to win uh, on 
the the lottery. Yeah. A million quid. Over a million quid. He was he'd won sorry, he won nine million quid. He won nine million quid. And this guy, big love, is Leicester City. And he was spending it, you know. And Steve Walsh was his guest. And someone on a, a close table had called him a flash so and so, you know, for spending the money and everything. Yeah. And then now either Steve was trying to be a page mate, please maker, I don't know. But I always remember I came out at the end, and as I came out, there was about six police outside. And I said, oh, go on, you've got to breathalyze me, because I've only just had orange juice all night, because I've been working in there. And laughed, he laughed, and he said, you can bugger off, get out of the way. And, and I, I jumped in my car and went on. And I always wondered what happened then, because Leicester, of course, were playing Chelsea on the Sunday, and Steve Walsh got sent off in the match. <laughs> But Jimmy agrees, and, and and he tells another he tells a cracking story. He went to Milan, of course. Yep. Uh, ninety nine thousand, something like that, and came back to Tottenham, hundred thousand, whatever. Yeah, it was ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine pence. Yeah. Bill, Bill Nick wouldn't go over yeah. for a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, it cost Milan a lot of money as well. Yeah. And he, he, he'd gone to AC Milan, and of course the Italians um, pre-season, they go up well. Every every game they go up in the bloody hills and they take the players away Thursday Friday up in the hills and and they living like monks really. And Jimmy thinks, ah, oh, he know what I've let myself in for it. And he says one of his early training sessions, the coach was called. Um, I get this right. I think it's called Rocco Neo Rocco, famous Italian coach. He said he had a big big neck, thick thick set neck. And he said after one of the training sessions, he pulled the team together. He said, and you got the, the two centre-halves. He said, good-looking lads, two black-haired bushbats. He said, the coach suddenly said, hey, in a year or two, I find you a 40,000 lira for having the sex before a match. And if it had been together, it would have been an 80,000 lira. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy thought, wait a minute, what have I landed myself in for here? And and he got he got out of Italy quite quick, but um, so yeah. But I mean, you know, if you want me to continue, I mean, I, I will. Busby, Best, Nobby Styles, McGuinness, Johnny Giles, you know, Alan Minter. I've got Dermot Reeve. You've got some. Those are real stories. If you want me to go through them, I, I'm delighted to. It's up to you. You're the boss. You're absolutely welcome to. All of these stories are in your book. Speak for your dinner. Yeah, uh, it's a lovely. Lyric. Is that you on the back uh, in your younger days with a Manchester United hat and scarf, and of yeah. course the standard rattle yeah, of the sixties and seventies? Yeah, a brilliant artist who lives in Charlie called Phil Neal. Not uh, the footballer. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, uh, but I, no, I think he's double L actually. I think it's N E I double L. Yeah. Phil Neal. Seriously, guys, any of you out there. Just have a look at his caricatures and drawings, some fantastic sets uh, of, of, of any team. Um, but he'll do a, a, a picture of you. In your, so if you're a golfer, for example, he'll do a caricature picture of you dressed up in your, in your golf thing, knocking the ball in the 18th hole, or anything that you want, horse racing. Uh, he's done it two of me. He's done one of the of the European Cup in 68 and me holding it and with the, the blue strip on, you know, big yeah. smile on my face and uh, and whatever. But, um, yeah, I, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a top, top guy. Um, but that book, um, I self-published that and I still think the read of it, if I say so myself, is one of the better ones and I've done 30 of now, purely because of the stories and the, the type of people who are in the book. Yeah. Um, you know, and as I say, I've done 30-odd books, but, I mean, you can do one book of 30. I mean, that, that's one that really I, I, I love. And um, and it, it depends. I mean, if, if people wanted it, I can I, I would get it reprinted. Uh, but you understand, it's one of them. Um, I, I did it because I wanted to tell the stories and, um, and, and of the bios of the people and whatever. Um, I mean, you know, I'm just thinking there, Nobby Styles, what a lovely man. I mean, Nobby. He's got his false teeth in. He's got his so he's got his reading glasses on and uh, and whatever. And uh, and Nobby tells a story of when he sang for United, Manchester lad, and he sang for for United at fifteen. 
and he had to go and sign the forms with his dad um and me, the, the the legendary another man from the, the west midlands by the way well he was a welshman but played for for west brom um jimmy murphy yeah but great man a man who saved united literally it was around. the it, and it was also on the night of the sad um yeah. You know, the the most tragic incident in British football. Uh, Superguard had it in uh, 1949, of course, on the 4th of May. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy was also the uh, the manager of Wales, wasn't he, at the time, as uh, trainer and reserve manager with uh, Manchester United. And, yeah. and and that's why he wasn't there in Munich. Yes, he was, he was they were playing Israel in a... He'd, he'd, he'd asked Matt, he'd implored Matt to go. Yeah. And he said, no, 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 it's your team. You've got to, you've got to uh, manage them for that. Mm-hmm. And poor Bert Wally, who was one of the assistant, he got in the plane and he sat where Jimmy sat and he got chilled. Yeah. Um, he was one of the other ones. But but Nobby, so you can't go down to Old Trafford from Collierhurst, um, which is only about five miles, four or five miles down Rochdale Road, Oldham Road in, into Manchester. And his dad, Charlie, Charlie Styles, he, he ran a, a funeral business right he said come on son i'll take you down what he meant by taking him down was <laughs> i had to get in the front of one of the hearses and my dad's taking me down to old Trafford to sign me he said and of course we're doing like 25 miles down the road no one's overtaking us turns into warwick road and jimmy murphy's waiting on the forecourt and jimmy sees this this hearse driving along wonder what the bloody hell and there inside it is young nobby stars of 15 with his dad charlie to sign the uh, to sign the forms of Manchester United, but um, you know, I mean, y- y- you'd have to hear that from a person like Nobby to to realise the the, the 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 real ethos of it, the story of it, wouldn't you? And he also started his, his career when he was a kid as as a centre half, didn't he? Yeah, which is surprising because yes. he, okay, unless he was that unless he was that size when he was fifteen or fourteen, and never grew any bigger. Yeah. Either. But, uh, but it, that was one of the links with Bob Wilson because they played in the same England boys team. Um, Bob Wilson, goalie. And uh, and Bob Wilson was invited by Matt Busby to sign for United. But his, his father, I think, wanted him to, to carry on with his studies. And I'm not sure if he lived, maybe wrong here, whether Bob Wilson lived like Chesterfield or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, he finished up going to, the, to, to play for the Arsenal. Um, but an, another magnificent speaker um, is uh, Wilf McGuinness, the former Busby Babe, and uh, and Wilf is a, I mean, he's he's an absolute star. He's a he's a gentleman. But he told me once, even even telling it to you now, I'm probably going to start laughing. But Wilf, you know, was the understudy to Duncan Edwards, which is not the greatest job in the world. Um, but Wilf had been England captain, schoolboy captain, was a great winger. And Edwards, of course, could play number five, number six, number nine, number ten. He could play anywhere. So if he moved around from number six, Wilf got his games, you know, at number six. And, and of course, Wilf missed the flight to Belgrade because he got a bad injury. So much so that when the game started after Munich, he would have just walked into the team at number six. Are you with me? Yeah. Um, but he was injured till the end of the season. Uh, but he came back the following season. He had a great season. He, he played so well. He got selected for England. He played twice for England. And his first game was against Ireland. And he said, Tom Finney, who I have to say is one of my heroes, by the way. Tom Finney is the greatest non-United footballer I've ever seen. Yep. Um, I mean, he could play seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Tommy Doherty would say exactly the same. A magnificent football yeah. and a top top man. So Tommy Tommy Finney's took Wilf under his wing while he's training and playing the game. And as he leaving, Will Will thinks, look, he's he's done so much for me. He says, Tom, I can't thank you enough for, for this and obviously I hope to be in your company much more. But is there anything I can do for you? So Tommy said, What are you doing on Monday? He said, Why? He said, Well, my labourers off sick and I've got a back to fit. And I need I need another pair of hands. <laughs> can you? I mean, can you? Be, I'm just saying to you that Tommy Finney is the greatest footballer yeah. I know, other mm. than my beloved United or whatever. And here he is. He's got his own plumbing business. He's just played for England on the Saturday, 
<laughs> he's spitting a bath on the money. I mean, it's hard to equate, I'm sure, for much, much younger people. But it is because the young kids don't understand that, you know, these football players were legends, were, were like demigods, but also did, did a proper job as well. So, you know, he... He had some money from his uh, when he got his day mob suit, didn't he? And he started the uh, the the uh, plumbing business with his uh, brother in in, uh, in Preston. He also, while he was serving the country in the Second World War, Tom Finney was in Egypt driving a tank. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, don't forget the, the maximum wage was twenty quid. Yeah, and um, you know, which was better than the average working man, I appreciate it. But it wasn't better than like today, if you said the average working man might be on four or five hundred quid, whatever, and, and a footballer's on for four hundred thousand, some of them, yeah. but four hundred thousand a week, a week. And that's what really uh, makes it worse when you put it down as a week. I mean, two others, obviously. You can imagine what I told you originally. There's that little lad in Salford who just went over Trafford Bridge and watched United. And, but in later life, I met Sir Matt Busby a couple of times. Yeah. Officially, I met him. In fact, they invited me when they did that documentary on him last year. And uh, I did a bit on, on that, a bit of background, and also spoke on it. Um, the Three was, Kings? No, no, the other one. There's a, a documentary just on Busby. Right, OK, yeah. Yeah, there is a um, which became came out as a film and a DVD, um, and you know that was a great honour and pre- pleasure. But my late father, who had been a prisoner of war in in uh, with the Japanese uh, in Burma and suffered horrendous horrendously, um, he, he just would not believe if I said to him I'd sat in Matt Busby's office for a good forty minutes interviewing him for that book. What a game that we were talking about. Yeah. And it was just me and him, you know, and I, I mean, it's unbelievable. And it, hey, hey, Roy, are you okay, son? You sit there, you want a coffee? I get and uh, I mean, just talking to him. And he was he was fantastic. Um, and then about mm, four, five weeks after, coincidentally, we were both on Willie Morgan's testimonial committee. Right. And I was the only one that I'd never heard of. I mean, I know that's an old joke for a lot of people, yeah. but you had, you had, Willie had great friends in America, um, Howard Keel, the famous singer and yeah. artist, um, Johnny Mathis, you know, well, you're talking world famous here, aren't you? Uh, yeah, and of course, Sir Matt Budbury was, was, was on the committee. And one of the first committee meetings was at a hotel in Altrincham called the Cresta Court. So I went down, and by this time, I, I was just, starting to get, I'd gone past the launch of that book and I was feeling a bit more relaxed, but, you know, I'm walking into a room here where all the good and grand of Manchester are and the committee members, and I'm just in the corner, really, but I'm thinking, do I go across to, to you and say, if I knew you, I would, but I didn't know anyone. I might have seen the faces before, but I didn't know them to talk to. Nowadays, you'd you'd have the strength and personality to realise we're all the same and you would say, hello, what's your name? I'm, oh, you're so-and-so, I'm Pip Blogs or whatever. Anyhow, after about 10 minutes, the door opened and Matt walked in with two other blokes. I swear this is true. And he walked past me. And he said, as he walked past me, he said, hey, Roy, are you OK? A good meeting the other week. And that summed up what everyone told me. He never forgot a name. He never forgot a face, his attention to detail. And, you know, you can see why all the great players in the time have absolutely adored playing under him and for him because he must have had an iron rod as well. But if, if, if it was one of the players' wives' birthdays or kids were in hospital or someone was ill, he always made sure flowers or a card was there. So when the player got home, oh, look, it's come from Mr. Bushby, you know. And I mean, that attention to detail does, does bring um, fantastic team spirit and, and will to win, doesn't it? It certainly does. And when he got the job um, as Manchester United manager, 
Matt said, I don't want to build a team, I want to build a club. Because previously he was at Manchester City uh, and at Liverpool as well. And it was very close whether he was going to go to United or or stay uh, at Liverpool and uh, and take on a managerial role at Liverpool. Because he, he was instrumental, I think, in Billy Little coming to Liverpool and, and certainly Bob Paisley as well during his, his time there as a player at Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, well, he was because he played with Paisley. Yeah, he did, yeah. Which, which Paisley, by the way, it's funny, I was only talking about him today because I am also, um, I'm, an, I'm proud to be an ambassador of Bishop Auckland Football Club. Yeah. And, and Bishop Auckland, when United had the air crash, bear this in mind, I just mentioned to you before, I went to the reserve game on the 1st of February against the Wolves. Yep. And the first team were playing the Arsenal at Highbury. So there was 11 players at Highbury and 11 players in Manchester, 22 players. After the crash, of them 22 players, eight were killed, yeah. two would never play football again, and five were still in hospital in Munich. Mm. So Manchester United, the week after the crash, had seven players around them. Now, luckily, the likes of Ian Grease was coming back from injury. Uh, they fast-tracked Nobby Styles and Johnny Giles from the A team into the reserves. Because don't forget, they had to put out a first team and a second team. Yeah. So they needed 22 players. And if they hadn't put them players out, them teams out, rest assured, Alan Ardacre and the Football League, who'd ordered Busby not to go in the European Cup in the first place. Yeah, they didn't like it, did they? Yeah. They would have come down on United like a ton of bricks. Seriously. Mm. In fact, um, when they first turned them down, uh, Matt Busby was a big friend of Sir Stanley Rouse. And that historically went back a long time. In 1948, Matt Busby was the manager of the Great Britain Olympic team. Played in the London Olympic. Um, And Sir Stanley Rouse was the maitre d'hôtel type of thing. He was the overseer of it. So they became really good friends. And one of the best players in that team was an army mate of Matt Busby's called Bob Hardesty, who was one of the great amateur footballers for Bishop Auckland as it happened and him and Matt were in the war together and um, so when the crash had happened Jimmy Murphy knew this and he rang Bob Hardesty and Bob Hardesty and Bishop Auckland let Bob Hardesty Derek Lurin who was the England amateur inside forward and a young winger called Warren Bradley who went on to become an England full international and they Bishop Auckland gave United them three players now, no other club, they uh, signed Crowler, Stan Crowler. From I was going to say Villa, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they signed Ernie Taylor, who was a great inside forward in his day from Blackpool. Yeah. But United had no money, don't forget, mm. because they, they aren't insured the lives of those that got killed and, and couldn't play again. Because yeah. why wouldn't it in 1958? And, you know, they had to, they united with Brassic Link. They really were. And that gesture by Bishop Auckland giving three players enabled them to towards the 22 that were needed. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. Other clubs did offer players in fairness, but they wanted a bit of transfer fees and they didn't have the money really. Um, So I was so proud of this that I um, became an ambassador for them. uh, And I I finished up writing a a play, the only play I've ever written, called Bishop United. And it was about um, Matt and Bob meeting... Uh, in the war and uh, Matt coming along to Old Trafford sorry Matt coming along um, let me get this right Matt and Bob after the oh yeah Matt asking Bob to be his captain for the 1948 Olympics and and how that relationship had, had happened and, and then of course the crash and, uh, and what they achieved for it so um, yeah so Matt was be uh, but it is a, a lighter story about Matt um, now, I, I've been told it's by players of United. Now, I suspect it might not be true, but it's a bloody good story. In 19, and I remember this winter, in 1962-63, Britain had its worst winter, winter ever. Yeah, it did. From, from Boxing Day to about end of February, was, there was virtually no football. Um, in fact, United's FA Cup third round tie which should have been on January the 4th, was played on March the 4th 
uh, on a Monday night. Um, in fact, United won the cup as it happened in that year. Dennis Law's first season, he signed Paddy Crane. And the story went that the, the, that was the invention. This is true, by the way. This part is true. That was the invention of the pools panel. Right. In those days, pools were the be and end all. It wasn't your lottery or whatever. It was your pools that the money was. And the pools panel was started because there was no football. Yeah. So they, they had the pools coop and they brought the pools panel together and they gave a verdict. And I believe they still sit to this day, by the way. Right. In, in case a match is called off for whatever reason. Um, but that was the invention of the pools panel. And evidently, the first five games on the pools panel, United were given as a win. Yeah. Dennis Law, allegedly, said to the team, hey, guys, I'm going to see Matt and ask for a win bonus. Whoa, people, <laughs> we're on the corridor. Hey, Dennis, how you doing? Hey, boss, we've just won five games on the pools panel. Hey, Dennis, you get a win bonus. Uh, that's a good idea, Dennis. But you were bloody drop for those games, so you can bugger off. <laughs> so I'm sure it's not a true story, but it's a bloody good one, and it's been, you know, remarked to me a, a few times. It's, uh, but Budvey, I mean, well, I, I can't mention it. It's just, can you imagine what it was like to be in his company? Literally in the company of a legend, and you're right. He he never forgot his roots, did he, Busby? Because no. he, he was a miner. I mean, he worked underground, as did yeah. Shankly, as did Steen. That's why I referenced the uh, the, the the film, uh, The Three Kings. But that yeah, book true. about um, about Busby, uh, Paddy yeah. Barclay wrote it, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, Paddy, I, I, I love Paddy. He's a great journalist. He's retired now, but. Uh, I still stay in contact with him. Of course, we're talking of heroes then, and I said about Tom Pinney, but, um, you know, if I said to you, who's the greatest footballer you've ever seen, who would it be? Um, that I've actually seen play yeah. football, yeah. I, I would I would say, uh, not live, because I missed his performance for Argentina against England in 1980, but uh, Diego Armando Maradona. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can understand that, and and there'd be lots of Pele lovers and you say the O's and Tommy Doherty would say Duncan Edwards. Yeah, Duncan Edwards, and um, that's one of my books, of course. I, I I did I did with another chap here, McCartney. We wrote the first biography in 1988 of Duncan Edwards. I've got that. Got, got reprinted in 1988, I think it was, and uh, um, but yeah, I mean Duncan. What I would say about Duncan, and of course I, I did see him play from the age of, here's one for you, March 1955. Yeah. I've gone to United, I'm eight years of age, FA Youth Cup. He scored three goals against Sheffield United. Well, yeah, but this is, no, this is Duncan Edwards, March 58, March yep. 55, 55. Manchester United versus Plymouth Argyle, FA Youth Cup. Yeah. 11 o'clock kickoff, Old Trafford. Duncan Edwards played centre half. Yeah. Wilfred Guinness was in the team. Eddie Coleman was in the team. Bobby Chart was in the team. Shay Brennan was in the team. And United won 9 0. Yeah. That was on March the 11th, something like that, 1955. Three weeks after that, Duncan Edwards made his full England debut against yeah. Scott Wemble. And Matt Buffy took a lot of stick then because people were saying, oh, he shouldn't be playing him because he's. He's, he's in the England team. And Matt, I think club managers today are wrong. If you've got a, a star, I put, and he could play in the FA Youth Cup, yeah. I think he should play. Last year, Greenwood could have played in the FA Youth Cup for United. Yeah. But they, now, I appreciate if United's got a first team game or whatever at the same time. But if they haven't, I think he should be allowed to play. But they used to in the old days. I've just recently yeah. done um, an interview with Dennis Mortimer. Uh, Dennis yeah. uh, was playing for Coventry's first team and playing youth team football. Steve Perryman yeah. played in the 1970 Youth Cup final uh, against yeah. Dennis, as did Graham Souness. <laughs> but Graham, I think, was a little bit younger. Didn't He wasn't in the first team by then. But there's yeah. there's many a player. Brian Little in 1972, Trevor Francis, when Birmingham City played yeah. Aston Villa. They were both in the first team, but both playing youth yeah. uh, cup games. And you're right, if they can play in the Youth Cup, why not? 
that was nine three, wasn't it? By the way, when England played Scotland, his debut. Yeah. Uh, was it? I, I think it might have been seven two. I might be wrong. I think because t- be... Tommy Dockers, he played in that game, didn't he? he scored a great he free kick. Yeah. yeah. It was, one of them was there was a seven-two and a nine-three. I'm sorry to all my Scots, Scottish friends out there, but that, I know we've been the seven. Uh, I tell you, a, a Wolves player, Dennis Wilshaw, got four goals. Yeah, in the game. But my greatest player I've ever seen, uh, and I've you know, I just quickly go back to Duncan Edwards. So, so there he made his debut in '53. He, he sadly was killed in '58. So he played five years. He, you know, I mean, he was. He was reaching that peak. He'd come third in the Ballon d'Or behind Di Stefano and someone else. And he was 21. He had the world at his feet. But the, my greatest footballer I've, I've seen and saw as always great was George Best. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to meet George before he made the first team because there's a bowling alley behind the cricket ground, Old Trafford. Well, he used to be. He's not there now. But there used to be a bowling alley when Tempin bowling started a big fad in the in, in Britain in the early 60s. And it was right behind the, um, the, the, the old traffic cricket ground. And on a Tuesday and Thursday, I used to go down with my mates just over the bridge. And George would be there, uh, quiet, black hair, you know, smiling, not boisterous, just with the other teammates, the youth side, Dave Sadler, Fitzpatrick, people like that. Uh, and great company. And and you always knew, of course, that there might be a little George couldn't have all the girls that used to go there just because George was there. And there might be someone you could be able to walk over yourself after. <laughs> but so I knew him, and um, and I saw his debut, which was against West Brom um, in September '63, and and then he played. He went back out again, and he brought him back on Boxing Day, or just after Boxing Day '63 against Burnley, and he was never out of the team again. Um, but he was magnificent, um, and. And and then on the after dinner circuit, um, I also met him and interviewed him for that Water Game book as well. Yeah. Um, and you know he, he he was a bigger thinker about the game than he was given credit for. And I remember pinning him down and asking him, and he said to me, his first five years at United, which would be from um, sixteen seventeen in nineteen sixty three, to um, 21, 22, when he won the European Cup in 68, he said those five years, because he won the title twice in that time, and won the European Cup, he said those five years were the greatest days of my life. Uh, They were fantastic. He said, but the next five years should have been even better, because I was, you know, I was growing up then. But but they weren't. And and the reason behind that, and that goes back to Wilf as well, because Wilf took over as manager when, when Matt uh, finally retired um, but Matt was always in the background and uh, you know I'm doing some research about this uh, other book which we might talk about tonight or another about the Manchester United book of the 70s do you know which... what I think we should do yeah. I think we should reconvene and, and do, do another yeah. hour yeah. on the that's book fair. of the 70s because yeah, that's this fair. is going to lead us nicely up to yeah. then but I'll just tell you one story about that please that do Wilf was became a good friend of mine, Wilf was. And, I, and Wilf was only 32, you know, when he took over as manager. But when you look at the programme, um, when Wilf was officially, you and I would think was the manager. Do you know where it gives the, the, the name of the officials? Your president, your chairman, your manager, your yeah. secretary, whatever. And Wilf's, ne- Wilf's name never appeared in the programme in 18 months. Blimey. The manager, the general manager, rather, was Samat Busby. Yeah. And then on page three, not like in the sun, but the page three of every programme used to be the welcome by the team manager or the manager to the visitors and what was going on. Yeah. And Matt Woodby wrote that in all of the 18 months, that Will. So you can see Will's hands were tied. Yep. And uh, and best got on well with Will. But um, Will did say to me, and not in any order, but he wanted Peter Shilton. He wanted Mick Mills when he was at Ipswich. He wanted Colin Nish when he was at Leicester. Colin Todd. David Nish. Sorry, David Nish. David Nish, yeah. Colin Todd when he was at uh, Sunderland. Uh, Alan Ball when he was uh, at at Everton. Uh, Alan Clark when he was at Leicester City. He almost signed for Manchester United. And the other one, Malcolm McDonnell when he was at Fulham. Yeah, yeah. And... 
because Wilf had been managing the England under-21s, I think, in all 23, and he knew all these players. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Barley lived near me, uh, where I live in Worsley. Barley used to live there when he played at Everton, and and, um, and even after. Um, but but I actually did I actually did a dinner with Alan Ball at the uh, the a big hotel in Nottingham, um, and it was the last dinner Alan Ball ever did because on that Thursday night he was driving back to uh, Hampshire because he lived on the south coast. And the following morning, him and Mick Channon were flying over to Spain for a game of go- for a week of golf. And when he came back the following week, he was cleaning some stuff out in his garden. And one of the incinerators, the flames were going up. Yeah. And Ball was panicking, thinking the incinerator and the flames were going to reach his um, his house. And he died of a heart, he had a heart attack. He yeah. died. And I, I'd, I'd done the last dinner with him in the Crown Plaza in Nottingham the week before. But going back to George, um, you know, I, I did these dinners with him and everything, and uh, you know, because he one of the times uh, he'd had this drink problem, serious drink problem, and he said he was going to Norway to have something implanted in his stomach, which would keep him off off the drink. And when I saw him again, uh, it might have been eighteen months after, and he said, oh. he said I was twelve months. He said, and then I was in Los Angeles or somewhere. He said, and I just don't know why I went in a bar and, and back on it. Um, a, a great tragedy, but a top blow, magnificent footballer, and my ultimate hero as a, as a, as a football player. But Busby, going back to Alan Clark, Busby had identified Alan Clark and yeah. he was trying to bring him to Manchester United. In fact, he was very close and it was only Franco Farrell that, uh, as Leicester City manager <laughs> in them days... <laughs> Yeah. That that had a word with Alan, and Alan liked uh, Franco Farrell, and that's why he went to Leicester because of wow. Frank. I bet he wish he. I bet Al Farrell, uh, Franco Farrell wishes to let him go now when he came to Old Trafford. But he, uh, he was he was so it was so close, and wow. Frank just went out of his way because he he arranged to meet him, and he he missed him somehow. Um, I think it was an England youth game or something, or you know, yeah. and um, and Frank had made con- they'd, they'd made contact with each other, and he'd come out of his way. He'd yeah. seen Alan, and Alan <laughs> Alan just liked um, Franco Farrell, and he said yeah. he was the reason that I signed for Leicester City and not yeah. Manchester United. Nothing yeah. about you know he didn't like Busby. But it, yeah. it just that he liked Franco Farrell and then got transferred to Leeds United. Yeah, I think we, the point George was making there was that you didn't need to sign all the players we've just mentioned. Yeah? No. And you, well, you will know them as well. But, I mean, he, he doesn't take a genius to think. The only one he signed, by the way, Wilf, in the 18 months, was Ian York from Arsenal, yeah. Central, who, who'd long since had a, 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 his good days. Mm. Um, but, you know, you can imagine, I mean, Again, um, you know, there's one point in that 70s where, you know, Dennis, Bobby and, and George all disappeared at the same time. Well, it was that um, one season, wasn't it? The 73 yeah. season, 74. Yeah. We'll, the... talk about, we'll talk about that with the uh, with the, the 70s, but when, whenever you want. We will do because Bobby, Bobby retired his last game was at Stamford Bridge, yeah. uh, 73, wasn't it, against Chelsea. Uh, yeah. Dennis had got transferred to City. We're going to be talking yeah. about that back heel goal. And George went missing, of course. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it's only, I guess, Tommy Doherty's personality. Because if you're yeah. in Birmingham and you've got them three great players and you get yeah. rid of them all at the same season, you'd probably yeah. be strung up by a lamppost. But, but Tommy, yeah. out of the ashes of getting relegated, created <laughs> a fantastic team. Yeah. And, yeah. and probably what was needed at Manchester United yeah. to ultimately follow what the boss, Samantha yeah. Busby, had achieved. Yeah. Yeah, that is fantastic. Can um, I you on. carry on, sir, what you was going to say, Roy? Yeah, I, I, I just got two really weird um, dinners I did, which I, I'd like to talk about. But, you know, if you, if you time's up, you time's up. No, absolutely, you carry on, oh. sir. Right, well. Uh, one was a, a bizarre one at Rochdale Football Club. On the top of the bill were the UK centrefold. Right. So this is a gentleman's evening. Yeah. The UK centrefold. So I'm, I'm hosting the, 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 the dinner. I'm on the top table. He's, 
100 noted blokes out there, very keen to see the UK centerfold. Anyhow, before that, there was one or two other acts on the comedian and one or two acts, and one of them was a plane thrower. And this bloke had this beautiful woman alongside him, and he goes, he, he passed the thing to her, and she goes, Whoosh! and the plane goes up in the air and bounces back and on it four or five times, and I'm watching it going up. Anyhow, on about the fifth time, he hit one of the fire alarms. So next minute, the, all the places, you know. So the steward comes to me and says, oh, you're going to have to get everybody out. I said, well, UK centrefolds are behind in. Oh, these lads are all, it's, we know it's not a fire, it's just it that, what, no, no, but you've got it. So I had to tell this under to lot to, to get out, or they weren't pleased. Because it was raining, it was raining outside on a Friday night. So they've gone outside. Next minute, two fire engines come up to, to Rochdale. I'm still there, and the firemen come in. Next minute, the UK centrefolds open the curtains in a state of undress. All the firemen are having a good time because they're talking to me. They knew this. And the crowd outside had to dissipate because they were going to come back. And so that was, a, that was a different sports dinner. And another one which was totally different was with a very famous or infamous lady called Madame Singh. Uh, who, 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 in the end, ran some very um, successful parlours of, of ill repute around the rich and the famous in London. And um, there was a film Julie Walters played her in in a film, um, and I, I did two dinners with it. And one of them, I was the only man in the audience as the host, and there was two hundred and fifty women in the audience, and I've got to introduce her. And then there's a lady comedian. And um, Cynthia said to me, Roy, uh, once you've introduced me, I want you out of the room this time because I'm going to be talking to the girls. That's okay. So I go out 45 minutes and come back in. But the comedian insisted I stay in. And, of course, I became the butt of all her bloody jokes, you women, because uh, you're the only man in the house. But it was, it was a very interesting. It just shows the different dinners and... And, and things on the sports thing and they were, they were great times and I'd, I'd, I'd do it again for a friend but I don't think I'd rush to do them again myself uh, but if you would if you would let me just finish on the one dinner when I finished up speaking at dinners because I in the end also spoke at dinners about basically what we spoke about tonight and stories uh, and just a story on Alan Ball back to that what a game and Fred Earl and myself had been over to um, on the Wirral to interview the late, great Joe Mercer. What a lovely man he was. And we're coming back and we're in the Mersey Tunnel. And Fred's got a beautiful car and it broke down in the middle of the Mersey Tunnel. Well, got out, got the bonnet up. Anyhow, another car comes past us and stops. And out got Alan Ball and his father, Alan Ball Sr. And they said, they, they recognised Fred and said, did we want any help? But we had to turn him down, Paul, because we didn't want to be known as being towed out of the Mersey Tunnel by the balls. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a pleasure to speak to you tonight, and I hope I hope it's been all right from your point. Roy, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. We're going to do another one about your new book, uh, the big yeah. book of Manchester United in the seventies. Uh, how can people hook up with you? And and ultimately buy your material. Yeah, uh, well, it, a lot of uh, quite a few of the books are still are, are actually on Amazon, you know. So yeah. if they go if they put Roy Cabana uh, books on Amazon, um, but a few of them are out of um, out of production. Um, but uh, I mean, there's quite a few in there. I've just done the Admiral Gardner book with Carl Abbott. Uh, United in the sixties. I've just done Johnny Carey. Uh, the day two teams died. They're all on um, on Amazon, but the the one we've been speaking about, speak for you dinner. But I can give you my Twitter thing and and things such as that and uh, Facebook. Um, but my Twitter angle is at Roy MBE. Uh, and if people wanted and I and I, I got enough, I'd, I'd probably get it reprinted for people. Um, but that, but that's there, that's there. But there are books of mine that are on, um, on Amazon. And Facebook, it's just Roy Cavana, MBE, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Roy, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. We will speak again, as I said, very shortly uh, okay. to talk about your wonderful Manchester United big book of the 70s with uh, with Carl Abbott. You've done it with you, with one yeah. of your pals, haven't you? Yeah, and, and David Lane, the cracking guy, the publisher from Legends who does some has done some great books on the villa, for example, and and, and others, uh, others. Absolutely, um, he's done uh, Brentford, of Arsenal, George yeah. Armstrong. Yeah. You know, Legends Publishing are what yeah. it says on the can. They yeah. are legends, and their yeah. books aren't just books. Yeah. They're works of art, and I yeah. want to go into a lot of detail and a lot of depth yeah. about the big book of Manchester United, the world's greatest club. Of the, how will we, how will we be able to get... Can we get two or three of us together at one junction? Is it? Is that? I suppose that'd be okay from your point of view, or is that difficult on the on the phones? I we... struggle on Zoom, yeah. if I'm absolutely honest. But yeah. um, we can well, we can we try could, and do something. We we could set it up if you wanted on Zoom to you. We could set it up and you could join us. That's up to you. Well, the last time I went on Zoom, it was a, a speed awareness course and they had to mute me because there was something wrong with my computer. Oh, so right. we might have to do it by telephoning old no, money. No, it's no problem. No problem. Suit you, you're in charge. OK, then, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, yeah. and thank you for listening, everybody. We will reconvene very shortly. Bye, Take care. Stay safe. Cheers, Bye. pal. Bye-bye now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.